my name is Dr. Sarita Matura. I'm an assistant professor in neurology in the epilepsy division at the Ohio State Wexner Medical Center. Femtech to me is considering sex as a variable in all research in neurological disorders. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus Podcast, brought to you by Fem Health Insights, the leaders in women's health market research and consulting. In this show, we have meaningful and provocative conversations with Fem Health experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. In today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Sarita Maturu, Clinical Assistant Professor of Neurology at Ohio State Wexner Medical Center and board member at My Epilepsy Story, a nonprofit for women with epilepsy. In this interview, Dr. Sarita tells us exactly what a seizure is when women might be more susceptible to seizures, and what the female-specific impacts of epilepsy diagnosis are. This is a great opportunity to learn more about epilepsy because guess what? Today, fun fact, March 1st, International Women with Epilepsy Day. So it is a great day to listen to the episode, share it with a friend, and learn more at myepilepsystory.org. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Dr. Sarita, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to have you. Where are you calling me from today? I'm in my office at Ohio State right now. Ohio State. Is it cold up there right now? It's freezing. (laughs) (laughs) We're supposed to have a winter storm in a day. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, uh, we'd love to always kick off our interviews, learning more about our guest, kind of more on your personal story, you know? So where are you from? Where'd you go to school? What was your interest? And then how did you end up being an epilepsy specialist specifically for women? So tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Marion, Ohio, which is a small town north of Columbus. Um, And then I went to medical school at Ohio University Then I went up north for a neurology residency at Henry Ford Hospital. I did my fellowship at Case Western in Cleveland. Um, And then I moved back to Columbus for family. So my family lives in Columbus and my husband's family lives around the area. So we moved back to be closer to them. Uh, um, And then how I got into epilepsy, um, you know, in neurology, there's so many things that are interesting, but I really found the pathophysiology of epilepsy interesting. I also felt like I could really make a difference um, with um, some of the counseling I did, medications I tried, and overall, you, you know, outcomes of epilepsy. I felt like I could really change the course of lives for some people. And so um, I became really passionate about epilepsy in residency, and this is why I decided to do a fellowship in it. Um, and then with women with epilepsy, that kind of started, you know, in my fellowship, I just realized that it's a vulnerable population. It's a population where um, we just need to pay more attention to, I think, and there's special considerations. And I felt like I could maybe bridge the gap um, and help women with epilepsy kind of navigate through their epilepsy journey a little bit better. Is there a l- large, like, epilepsy profession like 
Are you a rare specialist or like are lots of people epilepsy specialists? Oh, yeah, there's a fair amount of people that go into epilepsy as a, you know, as a specialty okay. um, following their fellowship. So I'm definitely not rare <laughs> per se, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I really enjoy it. And you're also a woman and a, a woman of color. Is that like, like, are you a rare gem in that way too? Or, you know, cause sometimes we see, you know, the reason why now we're focused on women's health or, you know, a certain uh, race's health is because the diversification of the people treating or leading that industry. So in epilepsy, is there um, a pretty good presence of women, diversity, et cetera? Yeah, definitely. Especially in the last few years, um, I think there's a more predominance of women in medicine in general. Yeah. Um, and I see in like a lot of our residents or people that I'm collaborating with, our women um, are coming from diverse backgrounds, which is amazing because mm -hmm. then we get a lot of different people's perspectives, which is exactly what we need. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I do think maybe there is a focus for this population because we know that we would want this in, in, if we were in this situation. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to learn about epilepsy. Admittedly, I really don't know how or what it is. Um, so why don't you give us kind of a basic definition and then let's dive into the biology a little bit. You know, I want to learn like, it, it, I think it's neurological. So like what's actually happening? Like what, what's happening? And our listeners love the science of it. So feel free to dive deep. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yes, epilepsy is absolutely a neurological condition. Um, in general, you know, to have epilepsy, you have to have a certain number of seizures. So I think maybe taking a step back and talking yeah. about seizures would be a good first step. So seizures are just abnormal electrical activity in the brain. So mm -hmm. your brain, of course, has a normal amount of electrical activity, but sometimes there are certain areas of the brain that become hyper-excitable and have too much electrical activity. And if that electrical activity crosses a certain threshold, then you can have a seizure. Mm. And I think a seizure in a lot of people's mind has to fit in this one box. And it's a lot of times what we see on the media and TV where you just fall down, you start stiffening up and you shake all over. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly one type of seizure. Um, but there's so many other types of seizures that can happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of times, you know, someone could have a seizure right in front of you and you wouldn't even notice. And I think that does become hard for our patients because they're like, you know, this is clearly affecting my life. I'm losing time. And, and maybe no one's even noticing that this yeah. is happening or realizing that I'm going through something. But it can be as something as subtle as I'm talking to you. I briefly look away. I stop talking and then I start talking to you again. Um, and that could be a seizure. Oh, wow. And so... Um, a lot of people have seizures that are not as big or as, you know, visual, I think, as we, as a lot of people typically feel like a seizure should be. Epilepsy is having two or more unprovoked seizures in your lifetime. So when I say unprovoked, I mean not um, in the setting of like maybe like a really low blood sugar or... Um, having a really bad infection or something like that. So something that's making your body, putting it at this really intense stress kind of space that it's having a seizure, mm -hmm. but more so like you're going about your daily life and you have a seizure. Um, so that's one part of the definition. It has gotten expanded over the years to um, 
So someone having one unprovoked seizure and an abnormality on their MRI or their EEG, that also leads to the diagnosis of epilepsy. Got it. And when do these seizures usually start for patients? So we think of epilepsy as having a bimodal distribution, meaning that typically you have seizures that start less than 20, like in your, you know, juvenile to 20 year old age, Mm -hmm. and then greater than 60. But I will say, you know, I see clinic patients all the time. And I have clinic patients of all ages that come into my clinic. And, you know, maybe they're 30s, 40s, 50s. So it really can affect you at any time in your life. And it feels very random. And I think that is so stressful in itself. It's like, I didn't do anything different than I normally do in my life. Mm -hmm. And now I have that. Interesting. Did they always have epilepsy, but it just started to show up or they literally like got developed epilepsy later in life? Yeah, it's hard to say whether, you know, people are more predisposed to it. Certainly there's some genetic testing that we can kind of do for some people that um, maybe they would have an idea they were going to develop epilepsy Mm. in the future. But because we're not really checking the average person for epilepsy before they have a seizure, it's, it's hard to know whether, you know, certain uh, people have yeah. predisposition for it. Yeah. Um, because you said that like of the majority of these seizures actually aren't the like falling on the floor. How do people know that they're having a seizure then? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's just something that feels very off to the person. Mm-hmm. Like, Maybe um, someone else wouldn't notice it, but they themselves notice that something Mm -hmm. is very wrong, you know, that either they're having these intense sensations, which we call auras that are overwhelming and that, that maybe they're not losing awareness, but are really stopping them and making them not feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe that they are losing brief periods of time. um, And it's not unrecognizable by other people, but certainly recognizable by them. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times, you know, unfortunately, in the beginning signs, I think for all of us, you know, and especially women, I think we tend to like just be like, oh, maybe I'm stressed today or I'm fine. Like, let me just go on with my day. Let Mm -hmm. me push through my day. Um, I'm sure I can get 8,000 more things done today. Um, And then eventually something big happens. Like you do have a seizure where you're, you know, we call it a generalized tonic clonic seizure where you stiffen up and fall on the ground. And that is the trigger for the Mm. workup. And then when we go back, people are saying, Oh, this has been going on for months or years. Yeah. 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 Um, is, you know, I can imagine falling on the ground and your body being stiff. Like I can assume what the negative consequences of that might be, but like these kind of more minor uh, seizures that are kind of almost passive, like happening throughout, is there a negative consequence of having that happen? You know, like, is it hurting their brain or is it just inconvenient? Um, absolutely negative consequences can happen. So um, like, Uh, Some of my patients have been cooking and they've had maybe just a 20 second seizure, but then they've had third degree burns to their hands because they're near the stove. Um, People have had, you know, 20 second seizures while they're in the pool by themselves and they drown. Um, People have 20 second seizures when they're about to walk down the stairs. They miss that first step. That's all you need. And you fall down the stairs and you have a huge head injury. So it's not necessarily like a seizure is like degrading their brain or like, you know, they may something, but it's more like incidental. Like when you lose your body control, like 
bad things can happen. Yeah. Like you could be anywhere doing anything. Imagine you're driving. I mean, it could be literally you're doing anything. Yeah. We do think, you know, generalized tonic clonic seizures, if those last um, more than 30 minutes, there is definite injury to the brain. Oh, okay. And so for focal seizures or smaller seizures, if those last more than an hour, there's definite injury to the brain. Usually seizures um, are you know, do have an end point to them for most people, but Mm -hmm. there obviously are people that go into seizures for a very long time and Mm -hmm. then they have permanent injury to the brain. Got it. And what causes epilepsy? I know you said like genetic testing to see if they're predisposed. Is this a hereditary disorder or is it, you know, what's causing epilepsy? Yeah. So sometimes it's hereditary. It's not very common, but certainly people have genetic predispositions to having epilepsy. Um, sometimes it can be how your brain has developed. So even when you're in your neuro, so even when you're just a baby and your brain is developing, maybe the migration of how your brain has developed was a little bit abnormal, but it just takes one little abnormality for that tissue to be hyper excitable later in life. Mm. Um, it could be that as you're older, you sustained a stroke and now that tissue in your brain is irritable or you had a brain bleed and that's irritable now. So you could have had a traumatic brain injury. So there's so many things along the way that could have happened. Sometimes we don't know the reason why. Sometimes we have a clear understanding. So it's just, it's very patient dependent Mm -hmm. or person dependent. And what's the prevalence of it? What's the risk of anybody getting it? And then also talk to us about if, uh, you know, female versus male. And is there ethnicities that are more at risk than others? So one in 26 people are diagnosed with epilepsy. That's a lot. I didn't know that. It's way more than, yeah, it's way more than you think. And about half of them, you know, are women. So one in 52, you could say, are are diagnosed with um, epilepsy. Mm -hmm. Um, In general, males have tend to have a little bit higher of a predominance for epilepsy than Mm -hmm. females. And we're not exactly sure why. Um, Is it the, you know, maybe they have a higher risk of stroke or traumatic brain injury or not positive. Or, you know, one philosophy is that do women not really report it as frequently as Mm -hmm. men? There are a lot of, um, you know, there are a lot of, uh, feelings and emotions that come up when you have epilepsy specifically for women because they feel like they may not be able to do X, Y, or Z if they're Mm -hmm. diagnosed and maybe they don't want to really disclose that or talk about it or really tell anyone that it's happening. So um, I think there's a lot of bias in that too. Yeah. Well, that leads into the, you know, next segment of this interview, which is you know, why are you on the show? You just said like men even have a little bit more of epilepsy than women do. So, um, what is the uniqueness of females with epilepsy? Like, why is this a femtech issue? So I think, you know, we're unique because for so many different reasons. So the first thing is, um, I think men and women, uh, react to medications very differently. Um, and I think you need to keep all of that in account when you are picking your medication for the person that you're with that day or your patient that you're with that day, because each patient, depending on their story, depending on their history is going to require different medication. And then women themselves, you know, might not want X, Y, or Z side effects from a medication, but maybe a male would tolerate that a little Mm -hmm. bit better. So that's one thing. 
The second thing is that there are a lot of anti-seizure medications um, that can interact with birth control. And so mm-hmm. if you don't have that information, you could think like, I'm good, I'm taking an oral contraceptive, but really your oral contraceptive is not effective at all and you're really susceptible to getting pregnant even though you don't want to be pregnant. Wow. And you think you're doing the right thing, but you don't realize that because you just haven't been counseled on it. Yep. Third thing is that anti-seizure medications can affect pregnancies. And so it's really important to be on the right medication if you do want to get pregnant. Um, And then the fourth thing is that anti-seizure medications, um, some of them can increase bone turnover. And so females in general are more predisposed to osteopenia and osteoporosis. And so picking the right medication from the beginning can really help you in your long-term life um, to prevent fractures and things like that. Wow. So fact number two, three, and four, right? So contraception, pregnancy, and bone health, were those... Do you, and do you know this, like, were those revealed in the original clinical trials of these therapeutic drugs or was there like, um, uh, you know, in the public's eye, like it happened where women were reporting back to the healthcare system, like my kid has, you know, abnormalities or I got pregnant, but I'm on birth control. What happened? You know, like, um, I keep breaking, you know, all these women are breaking their bones. Why are, you know, like it, was that a, a public experiment or was it like when these drugs were approved, like they knew that from the get go? Um, probably, you know, as terms of side effects, I don't think you can know all the side effects of a medication at the time the medication trial is done, because mm. it's not going to be that we're collecting information over for 20 years yeah. and then we put a medication out because then we wouldn't have any medications out. Um, so I can speak specifically like for pregnancy outcomes. I mean, this is years and years and years of data and we still have so much. We have such a long way to go because we have newer generation medications and now we have to wait till, you know, X amount of people try those mm. and see what their outcomes are. And so, you know, it's a trial and error process somewhat, so a yeah. little bit, unfortunately. But we also, you know, our goal is to give people options to make people seizure-free because they can lead to injuries. They can, you know, really ruin your quality of life. And so it's kind of like balancing. Yeah. Balancing. So are there medications that women can take uh, with their birth control at the same time? Are there medications that women can take while pregnant? Absolutely. So there are definitely medications that you can take um, when if you if you want to be on an oral contraceptive. And then also you can be on any medication. It's just knowing the right contraception to be on. So for instance, with one medication, it might, might metabolize your basic like tablet oral contraception out of your system. But if you had an IUD, you'd be good to go. So it's just knowing like what to ask your OBGYN, how, you know, even to just tell them like, this is what I would prefer, or even just having an epilepsy doctor or any neurologist be able to communicate that to another provider, you know, and, and be able to talk about that and to get them the right, the right contraception. Do you think that it's pretty well known in the medical field? Because sometimes people just get their birth control from the regular care provider, right? Their primary uh, physician. Do you think that there's um, enough awareness of these conflicting, you know, drug interactions? Like, do you get a lot of patients coming in saying, oh, this all happened and you're like, gosh, I wish their doctor knew this. Like, we need to make you on this one. Like, or or is it pretty good in the medical field in terms of this medication? Um, 
I think we can always do better. I definitely think, you know, when you are in such a specialty, um, you know, everything about it, you know, the ins and outs Mm -hmm. of everything. Right. And then, um, but I wouldn't know, you know, if like, if you asked me how to treat your acne, I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you go to your primary care provider about that. I wouldn't be the best person to ask about this or any other, you know, yeah. any other major thing. Like there are a lot of things that I wouldn't touch at all. So I think, you know, there, I think that's the, the, the best thing that you can do for yourself if you are diagnosed with epilepsy is to make sure you are with a neurologist or an epileptologist that can communicate with your other care partners, you know, so that we're working as a team because it's, it's really unfair to ask one person to know, to remember everything and to know everything. But if you have a team of doctors, then they can be the team that kind of um, advocates for you. Totally. Do we know if uh, hormone fluctuations in females affect epilepsy? Like, do women have more seizures on their period or, you know, uh, do seizures start during puberty or anything like that? Absolutely. So um, we call it catamenial epilepsy if a certain amount of seizures occur during your menstrual cycle or with fluctuations of hormones. So in general, we think when you have a rise in estrogen, that that puts you into what we call a pro-convulsive state, meaning you're more susceptible to seizures during that time. Um, And so there's kind of three different categories to catamenial epilepsy, but definitely any women that come into our clinics, we really try to see if when they're having breakthrough seizures correlates with when they're having their menstrual cycle. Wow. That is so interesting. And so what point in the menstrual cycle is this, uh, are the seizures happening? So the most common is, um, a few days right before you have your menstrual cycle, you have a rise in estrogen. Mm -hmm. And so the first few days right before your menstrual cycle and the first few days leading into your menstrual cycle, you can absolutely, have breakthrough seizures if you're more predisposed or more sensitive to hormones. The second most common time is um, during your ovulatory phase. Mm -hmm. So as you're going into ovulation, you have another rise in estrogen. So some people, again, have breakthrough seizures during that time. And then the third time is your anovulatory phase. So this is when your progesterone is actually decreasing. So your estrogen might be staying the same, but your progesterone is decreasing. So that's artificially your estrogen is higher than your progesterone at that time. And that can cause breakthrough seizures. That's the least common and honestly the hardest part to figure out Mm -hmm. because of a little longer of a period of time. So the first two times are the most common. Wow. That is fascinating. Does that mean that potentially women in menopause, when their estrogen drops, that they actually have decreased seizures? Correct. So during perimenopause, your seizures can fluctuate quite a bit because your oh hormones God, of are course. Yeah. dysregulated. And so you can have an influx of seizures that can be, you know, a really hard time for people. But once you get into menopause, if you are truly hormone sensitive, you could have a decrease in seizure frequency. Fascinating. Is this like has been well known for a while or is it kind of a newer thing that doctors have realized the connection? I think we've been studying it for a while, but I definitely think we all have a lot of unanswered questions. And so, you know, a lot of people have a lot of ideas for research studies into how we can monitor these patients the best. Mm. The trouble is that um, it's really hard to, you know, it's a lot of tracking, right? You have to track when your seizures are and when your menstrual cycle is, and that's a lot, a lot going on at that point. And so it's hard to start some of these studies just because 
it means a lot of work on the yeah. patient's side. Too. Is is there a wearable that could um, identify when a seizure happened? Yeah, so there is something called an Embrace Watch. Mm-hmm. Um, that is F- that's the only thing that's FDA approved right now. Um, typically, though, it's better for like the big generalized tonic clonic seizure mm. or so. Um, if you're having like a subtle seizure, a smaller seizure wouldn't be as good for that because it's not going to really pick up on those smaller seizures. Yeah. So I would say it's it's not as much for to like track things like you would have to track on your own, like the menstrual cycle and the seizure, the smaller seizures and stuff yeah. like that. But it's good as an emergency tool, you know, mm-hmm. if you need it to contact 911 or your uh-huh. family member. Yeah, got it. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of research, is there a lot of research and funding in epilepsy, and is any of it focused specifically on females? Yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of research with patients with epilepsy. There is a lot of funding in epilepsy. Um, there's specifically a huge NIH trial um, that's funded specifically for women with epilepsy. That's so awesome. um, I think. A lot of people have an interest in this area. A lot of people want to make epilepsy better for the specific population. Mm. Um, And so hopefully, you know, as the years go by, we'll continue to get better and better. What do you think some of the influences are there? Because honestly, that is a rare answer that we get, which, you know, if it's a disease that affects both sexes, usually there's not a study just for females, right? And so... um, do you do you find that any unique influence as to why there's funding here, why there's interest, why like were society's cool with us just studying one sex, you know, with a uh, with this disease? It's specifically the a lot of and most of the funding is with pregnant patients with epilepsy. Oh. So, um, I think you know just finding out what medications are best for pregnant women with epilepsy to see what um, outcomes are for these children. Yeah. Um, to see how we can best protect them during this period of time. So, you know, what we need to monitor, what we need to get them extra. So it is a lot of the funding is more so with pregnancy. So there definitely needs to be more funding with everything else, I would say. But um, right now, that's where the funding focus. It's always funny when I ask these questions because I'm like, hmm, something tells me there's another storyline here. And sure enough, it's like, yeah, what, you know, one of the main ways we can get men on board with women's health is we use fertility as the bridge, you know, to get them interested to learn about women's health. And then we like show them all the other things. But, um, so that makes sense that it's like a lot of this funding, a lot of the motivation is around like saving babies and making sure like kids are healthy because that's something a lot of people can easily get behind. But I can imagine a a research grant that just says, you know, uh, looking at the correlation of menstrual cycle with, uh, epilepsy seizures may not get funded versus what drugs should a woman take so she can have healthy babies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is my epilepsy story? So you're on the board of this nonprofit. Tell us a little bit more about my epilepsy story. Yeah, it's a nonprofit organization for women with epilepsy. It's the only nonprofit organization for women with epilepsy. Um, where specifically, um, we try to get education out for any woman or girl with epilepsy. Um, not just for, um, our patients, but also for the provider side too. So um, it kind of is twofold. It's a place where you can go to get um, education references, stories, support groups. Um, We also do uh, 
some things like um, we have a scholarship for a woman with epilepsy that's going into a trade school or an undergraduate school. We help so, um, we help try to uh, promote help with transportation, so support transportation. We do a series where we um, have physicians and providers come together and we talk about um, different uh, issues with women with epilepsy and try to just educate and get like a good dialogue going. Um, so there's a lot of different initiatives through this, uh, through this organization. And mm-hmm. I think the wonderful part about it is that if you, you know, can join the organization, it's really a community. So like, that's what we are trying to do, mm-hmm. give support, give a community presence to women with epilepsy, because it is hard to have the diagnosis of epilepsy. It's not easy to walk through that by yourself. And mm-hmm. so I think the more support you can get from different organizations or your family or your physician or whoever it is, can just really help you have better outcomes. Yeah. I know we talked about like, um, females have to really consider which drug they're on based on, you know, what stage there are in their life. Are there other like social like things that women with epilepsy have to deal with that men may not have it? Like when I hear you say like women really are, uh, love this community cause they can relate. I, I wonder like, they're not just talking about what meds they're on, right? Like what are some everyday potential predominantly female activities that epilepsy patients, um, you know, are struggling with? Yeah. Specifically women with epilepsy. I mean, I still have a lot of patients that get the message, um, that they shouldn't have kids. And I will, I, you know, not to focus everything on pregnancy, but that is huge to hear when you're yeah. 16, 17, that you can just never have kids. I mean, I don't think you've really made it. Most people haven't made a really big decision about that when they're yeah. that young. So I think to hear that and to have that re- reiterated and then maybe to one day get pregnant and then think you did something wrong yeah. is incredible. Especially because then you're maybe you're on the wrong contraception. So even if you're trying not to get pregnant and then you do and you're like, damn it, this whole thing is, yeah, exactly. then you break your hip like, or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's just very stressful. And I think, you know, just one, getting the right information mm. out there. You can have a safe pregnancy. You just have to be on the right medication. It mm-hmm. just has to be planned. Things like that. Not feeling like you did something bad if you yeah. are pregnant or not. You know, I think also, um, you know, women with epilepsy feel like maybe they can't get married or maybe like they can't do X, Y, and Z mm. because it's going to be, be like a burden on someone or because they feel like they wouldn't be accepted by one thing or another. I just think that there's a lot of stigmas with having epilepsy, especially if you're a woman. And so it's just like hearing other people and their stories and then what they've done, um, I think can be really amazing and powerful. It's one of the things we see that really is uh, a cornerstone of Femtech, which is uh, community education, and then like a great product or service. So we call it the Femtech trifecta, that all the successful women's health companies have those three things. And I really do think the education and community, it's unique to the Femtech industry because women thrive in community. And we also have been, you know, have this unfortunate paradigm that we're the only ones suffering with this thing because no one's talking about it. So we're assuming no one else has it except for us. And so that education and community part is like so important for her to, you know, uh, get the full, you know, support that she deserves. 
Well, Sarita, this has been an amazing interview. We have two last questions that our listeners love. The first one is we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs. So what is an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating? So I think in general for our medication trials, we tend to lump all side effects into one. Mm. Like everyone that has or 10% of the people that were on this medication have dizziness, lightheadedness, da, da, da. But I think it would be really important and is really important to, you know, in the future for our studies to really delineate how women and men are affected by medications differently. Mm Because I think there's a true difference. And I think a lot of it is maybe sometimes women underreport or also even if it's just a, a difference. We just don't see that difference. And so when someone comes into your clinic and they're um, saying that they have X, Y, and Z, it's easier to be dismissive of it because you're like, oh, that's not a common side effect. But maybe it is. Maybe it's a common side effect for women as for women. And more so than it was to their men counterparts. Yeah. So I would love to see that in studies come out. I think that would make me a better physician. Um, and I think also it would validate what our patients are saying, like, you feel this? Oh, a lot of people in your position that were taking this medication felt like that too. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I actually gave a TEDx Pfizer talk and the moral of my TED talk was consider sex as a variable in your experiments. And I wish that that wasn't such an like mind blowing talk. (laughs) I wish that that was something that they were like, this isn't novel. Of course we do that. But instead, I was like one of 10 people invited to give this talk to thousands of Pfizer employees and like clinics, clinicians around the world were commenting like, oh my gosh, I'm going to relook at my data. I'm going to, I'm like, this is so cool. The impact I'm having. Oh my God, what the hell have we been doing that nobody has separated the female and male data, you know, for clinical trials. Cause exactly what you're saying, you know, like. Uh, it might be overreported in males or underreported in females or only reported in females. But when you add it all up, like it's not significant enough to report. But if you mm-hmm. had separated the sexes, you would say, oh, this is significant for the females. Yeah. So a hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. For all those reasons, it yep. would be amazing. Well, yeah. my, uh, I, jokingly say like my my day job is just to ask people if sex was considered so I will continue to do this did you consider sex um our last question is what do you think the femtech or women's health innovation industry needs the most right now in order to be successful um I think kind of what you said in the beginning or maybe just a few minutes ago, really. Mm. I think just a sense of community is Mm. super important. I think if we can continue to pull each other up, which is so important everywhere, but especially in the femtech industry, um, and put each other on platforms and really advocate for each other, not just for our own initiatives, but for others' initiatives as well that we really believe in, I think we can all be really successful together. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today. This is an awesome interview. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to my interview with Dr. Sarita Maturu. Learn more about epilepsy and women at myepilepsystory.org. Be sure to subscribe to the Femtech Focus newsletter, join our virtual community, and follow us on social media. Share the show with a friend and continue to advocate for women's health innovation because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health in wellness.